Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And it's Friday. Today, we're welcoming back our special guests, Rick and Julia from Mad Max Minute. We're back, baby. All right. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> we got spicy on Friday. <laughs> so in today's fine Friday episode, we're covering minute nine of The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we start with the gang being treated to a fantastic Marty rant. And we end with Hadley clarifying that being prepped is not the same thing as being prepared. And in between, we get our first look inside the mighty control center. All right. And so I thought I would kick off Friday with a silly little cabin related story. And so it has nothing to do with this minute in particular, but it does have to do with a cabin in the woods. (laughs) So my boyfriend at the time, Larry, and I and a couple of friends decided to go out and rent this cabin. And it was at one of those places where most people are renting the cabins around a lake to go fishing. And it just seemed like a fun getaway. None of us were really interested in fishing, but somebody knew about this cabin and somebody in our group kind of got it all together and organized it. And we had a great time going grocery shopping and kind of figuring out, you know, who was going to grill this and who's going to make that killer potato salad and, you know, all these classic things you want to do <laughs> and get ready to have good food and hang out and get all chill at this cabin. And it started out really beautifully. So, you know, somebody went outside and grilled some chicken and we had a beautiful deer come by and visit us and just was this pastoral northern california experience with lots of um, trees about and just a beautiful afternoon and evening so the four of us kind of decided to hunker down for that night and drop a little lsd (laughs) (laughs) something we were all familiar with doing and here we are all you know very much into our adulthood at this point and we're all seasoned um people who've taken psychedelics before but things started to get a little <laughs> little tweaky when one of the members of our group I'll call him Anthony because that's his name uh, started to get really paranoid and scared and started to kind of freak out and at this point the four of us were just hanging out inside the cabin and uh my boyfriend Larry was playing Tuvan throat singing music. So that was adding a little bit to the dissonance and the kind of weirdness of the, the night. So I asked him to turn that off and, and suggested maybe we go for a walk in the woods. So we, we went out on our walk and it wasn't totally, we weren't out in total isolation. I mean, there were these other cabins sprinkled about and there was like a, a nice um, paved road that we could walk down and the occasional cars would even drive down. We were having a nice little walk, but Anthony just was reacting to every sound as like, you know, and started to get this idea in his head that we were going to be found out, you know, and I kept having to just tell him like, all we're doing is we're four people walking around in the evening, enjoying, you know, enjoying 
the evening and the beauty of the trees and the sunset and everything's fine. And as we're walking over this path, there's a guy there with his dog and it startled Anthony and he jumped back and said, Scarecrow, Scarecrow, gotta go. <laughs> he thought the guy was a scarecrow. <laughs> he could not come down after that. So <laughs> we decided to try to make our our way back to the cabin, thinking maybe he'd feel a little bit more relaxed if he knew, you know, we were inside. And he kept thinking somebody was going to come to our door, that we were going to get kicked out, that the police were going to come, and you know get us and arrest us and all this stuff. So the next thing that happens is, you know, it's dark by now and we're making our way back probably 20 minutes away from the cabin. And in the far, far, far distance, we hear sirens. <laughs> so for the other three of us, we're fine. You know, yes, we're tripping on acid, but we're, we're grounded in reality still. But for Anthony, he did not like it, and we could tell. So the the siren comes closer and closer and closer to us and actually turns down the road that we are on. Mm. <laughs> but it ends up that it's not a cop car. It is um, an ambulance, and it picks up somebody at a house. So then we start to realize, okay, somebody's having an emergency, maybe a heart attack or something like that. So then we start walking further home away from the ambulance the ambulance drives by us and then we come across something very eerie and creepy and of course it makes a lot of sense in retrospect but at the moment we start to see every emergency vehicle in the immediate area all driving up with their bright lights on and making a big circle of lights so we're kind of all starting to freak out because it's just something none of us have seen before and it's this it's the circle of about 15 different emergency vehicles with all their bright lights on all in this perfect circle and as we're walking by and starting to see other people kind of come out of their cabins and walk around and I, I just went up to somebody and said, what, what's going on? And they said, oh, well, you know, somebody had a heart attack and we don't have an airport nearby, but they need to get shipped out. So uh, um, the, the closest hospital was sending it its helicopter. And so all the emergency <laughs> oh, vehicles with their lights in the big circle were making basically a, an impromptu kind of pad oh lit gosh. up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was very dramatic and, and, you know, kind of moving and sort of interesting, but not anything you want to have happen while you're tripping your balls off. Yeah. <laughs> So that's my uh, cabin in the woods story. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is bizarre. It was. It was totally bizarre. It, it really was like a mystery, you know, for several minutes. We're just like, what the F is going on? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so let's get into this minute. We kind of, we kind of front loaded this minute a bit and started talking about what Marty is um, ranting and raving about here. But uh, yeah, society is crumbling mm -hmm. or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's speak on that. Yep. So Marty is sitting at the 
RV table, and he seems to have spread out in front of him his supplies for rolling up a couple of marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> and he, he says at the very top of this minute, this is the whole issue. And Jules, who's in the passenger seat, she says, oh, is society crumbling, Marty? And he goes on to say, no, society is binding. And this is going back to what we talked about yesterday. We kind of jumped forward a little bit, and now we're here. <laughs> so he says, society is filling in the cracks with concrete. Everything's filed or recorded or blogged, right? Chips are in our kids' heads so they won't get lost. And then he says something that really stood out to me. He said, society needs to crumble. We're all just too chicken shit to let it. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean to you? Julie and I spend a lot of time, as you may have guessed, looking at media revolving around the post-apocalypse revolving right. around a situation in which the society that is has crumbled to nothing and is now being replaced with a new sort of society. And it's a form of media that is fairly prevalent. You find a lot of post-apocalyptic material. When Marty says, you know, we're all just too chicken shit to let society crumble, I think it might be because... We're a little worried to allow ourselves fall, to fall into a situation like you see in Mad Max or in The Road or Children of Men or I Am Legend. We don't want to go through that ourselves. And yet, this is a topic I've brought up in the past on our own podcast, but when you watch a post-apocalyptic movie, there is the tiniest element of hope. Because even though something terrible has happened to the world, humans continue to, to exist. They continue to work together. They continue to struggle and raise families and form relationships. And sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it's really scary. But, you know, it keeps happening. And I feel like... Marty is in a position where he sees that, yes, there's a lot of good in society, but there's also a lot of bad. And I think he's focusing very closely on the surveillance nature of modern society, where everything is written down and everything is stored, and you don't necessarily know who is reading that information. And that if society were to crumble and we were to cast off these modern conveniences, yeah, we would no longer be monitored like we are now but we would also lose a lot of comforts. And he's pointing out very clearly, you know, we like our comforts too much to gain true freedom from being surveilled. Hmm. You know, that really makes me think of Wally, -E. <laughs> the movie Wally. -E. <laughs> you know, because when we first meet Wally, -E, he is sort of, you know, running the range of this post-apocalyptic sort of or earth right where he's collecting things and hanging out with a a, a cockroach a cute cockroach <laughs> and uh you know he's got a job to do or you know maybe it's an old job that doesn't even need to be done anymore but he's still just running around doing what it is he was programmed to do and then when he finally gets to the place where he meets all these humans that have catapulted away and are living in this like space ecosystem 
and everybody's floating around in their, you know, floaty chairs and drinking huge sodas and have gained a lot of, of pudge and, <laughs> and are viewing screens constantly. That's my fear, you know, <laughs> like I, that's, that's a fear of mine is to like, okay, well, but what if we had, what if we did have the cojones to let it all crumble and then start where that movie ends where we're all back on earth and planting things and you know uh, inspiring peter gabriel music is playing and <laughs> we're working together and hopefully getting in more physical better physical shape and maybe getting away from the screens and all that because because mm -hmm. i do feel like when i see those people behind the screens kind of floating around obliviously like that really rings true to how my life can be sometimes when I'm not not being mindful and getting out and digging in the dirt Julie do you got anything what's the line that he says about the concrete he says society is binding right it's filling in the cracks with concrete I like that idea particularly in reference to this movie that society as a whole is working so hard to keep itself together. Uh, mm. The way he talks about it, it's filling in the cracks with concrete. It is going out of its way to keep things as a status quo, to keep things as they are instead of allowing them to evolve maybe in a more natural way. Mm -hmm. And he, man, he's just in my notes, I call him the powerhouse of foreshadowing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> His, like, yeah. his vaguely conspiracy theorist rant mm -hmm. is just right on the nose. I love the idea of society trying to, quote unquote, fix its imperfections with something that is as cold and unyielding as concrete. As people who live in New Hampshire, we're very familiar with potholes and frost heaves and examples of areas where there is pavement and there is concrete that has been put over the ground and as it gets cold and as it warms up the ground will shift and move underneath that concrete and break parts of that man-made road and it's a kind of a metaphor of how the world is the world is constantly flexing and moving and people show up and they try to you know what's the that I think it's a Gavin DeGraw song. They paved paradise or they, what is it something about paradise, paradise and put in a parking paved. lot or something like yeah. that. Yep. I don't know. It's, it's music that I hear when I'm at Walmart and target and stuff like that. Um, older than that. I don't even know, <laughs> but Marty is saying that just like Julia said, society is so obsessed with keeping things within the status quo to keep things from being free-flowing and flexible and to change from time to time. You know, there are people in this world that are so obsessed with things staying exactly the way they are that the very idea of any sort of change makes them enraged. And those are the kind of people that Marty is pointing out, you know, they're just too afraid to let things be any different. Right. And... I love the idea of the foreshadowing because by the end of this movie, and this is kind of the last opportunity that we're going to have to talk about Cabin in the Woods, so I hope you'll indulge us talking about Please. spoilers. 
Um, by the end of the movie, Marty is going to make an incredibly important decision that is going to alter the fabric of the entire world. And I feel like that decision he makes is kind of based on this mentality that he's talking about here, that society needs to crumble. There needs to be a breaking that takes place. And everyone around him is just so frightened to do that, but not him. And he's right. going to prove that by the end of this movie. Because this is a lot about fear, right? Because mm-hmm. even that comment about, well, we put chips in our kids' heads so they don't get lost. That's a choice that we've made because we fear something happening to them more than the cold weirdness of sticking a chip in my kid's brain. Yeah. And you're right. <laughs> this is absolutely about fear. And I feel like it's also about freedom and it's about privacy. And I feel like it's also about... You know, we have a, a particular regulation in this in this culture, in American culture, that not all cultures share, especially when it comes down to safety. And here, there's so much more regulation of like, be aware of this, be aware of that, don't do this, do that. The regulation's so much more. And I think that's also what he's talking about is the fear of something adverse happening, that what happens when you just let go of the fear. Yeah, that comes to mind, too, when, I, when you talk about regulations about like... Um... You know, restaurant. I've worked a lot in the restaurant industry, especially coffee houses. But you know, um, regulations about food safety and animals and things like that. And I mean, I understand why it's all there. Or you know, cheese that comes to mind. But like when you go to other countries and there's just this, it's it's just a lot more lax and maybe even the the architecture architecture is such that you can kind of stroll in and out of buildings like I think of like going to Bali you know just being able to walk in and out where there's not everything so closed up and tight and and uh, you know going to Europe or you know watching like Anthony Bourdain be in uh, other countries where he's just like hanging out and talking and eating food and there's you know dogs underfoot inside a closed building and that that just never happens over here because <laughs> it's just regulation 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 and you know it there is that sense of freedom that comes from not being so controlling of every little bit of your experience yeah mm-hmm. and Jules follows up this rant by saying that she's missed him She's missed hearing him talk like this. And the last thing that Marty says before we cut away from this scene, he kind of holds up one of his joints and he says, you will come to see things my way. And he kind of (laughs) uses a tone of voice that's different than how he's been talking there. And it almost feels kind of like a, like the way a Jedi would talk in Star Wars. (laughs) Totally, And it's funny because... Dana is there in that scene and he's not talking specifically to Dana, but you know, like I said, when we get to the end of the movie, it's Marty and Dana and they have to make that decision about society crumbling or not. And Dana is on Marty's side in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm, Nice. So she does come around to see things his way. And I will definitely admit when we were talking about fear, the first thing that popped into my head was Yoda. (laughs) Because fear leads to anger and hate and hate leads to suffering. (laughs) Uh, Real quick before we move on, 
the Page yeah. Paradise reference was from Big Yellow Taxi, which was originally sung by Joni Mitchell. Yes. I know it from <laughs> Counting Crows because I'm oh, a kid wow. from the 90s, but it was gotcha. originally done by Joni Mitchell. Oh. <laughs> I know it from the thanks Friends for... soundtrack. Yeah, I, I, thanks for <laughs> <everything>. <laughs> God. <laughs> now there's a group of people that I would like to send to the cabin in the woods. Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> they definitely fill the archetypes. Definitely. Yeah. Perfectly. Okay, so we're about to move on and there's a big change in the soundtrack, right? Like we're hanging out with these guys still listening to music you know kind of it almost is implied as if it's you know within you know maybe they've got the stereo going or whatever and then bum bum we switch over to the guys and what is this thing it's like a vault door almost right that's what it reminds me of very secure yeah i'll definitely be looking when we get into the later scenes and all hell breaks loose as to, I can't quite remember how this, if, if this vault is breached or how things are breached. You know, that's something that I feel like I don't really understand at this moment. Well, I do remember that uh, Bradley Whitford gets to shoot an Uzi at that point, and it's pretty epic. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, we're into back to the compound or... I guess I love when this door opens, just the look that these two guys have, their posture. (laughs) I love it's just two schlubs, like on the other side. It's this like dun, 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 dun. And it's these two guys. This is the moment that Julia has been waiting for all (laughs) week. Yes. (laughs) I am just such a big Bradley Whitford fan. Okay. Saying that I'm a Bradley Whitford fan is kind of, vague i am a josh lyman fan from west wing Mm -hmm. and i just i can't overstate how much of a fan of his i am in west wing (laughs) preach yeah we we did bring that up i'm a fan of the of the josh lyman as well in fact he does a unfortunately we did not have you on for that particular minute but there is a classic west wing walk that occurs oh they do a walk and talk that's right they They do do. Mm -hmm. yep just missed it. Yep. <laughs> Even his lines that he has in this minute, he says, don't call me sir. And he goes on. Even those are like, it's the same persona as Josh Lyman. Like the yeah. cocky, sarcastic, joking around, but he still has authority about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's the same character. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It is. Yeah, that's a that comment about like you can drop the sir, this isn't the military. Kind of goes back to the everyman and you guys were kind of talking about like who's really watching us? You know, who is it behind the surveillance? And it's these two schlubs. These are the guys right. who are behind the surveillance. Yeah, they're making the decisions. They're keeping an eye on you. They're not like super brains or super I don't know what what you think it would be it's not i mean it's not what you're expecting (laughs) no no they're the they're not pulling the strings you know they're not actually in control i mean they are they're not in the ultimate control they're really like middle management you know they're sort of shuffling pieces around and they look like middle management absolutely 
I love how realistic this is. Like the the people in real life, the people who are watching us, it's not some super duper spy agency. It's just some <laughs> guys wearing white shirts and ties just going to work every day. Yep. And their job <laughs> happens to be, you know, compiling data on websites that we visit, you know, stuff like that. Like it's just everyday stuff to these guys. Yep, just regular guys working on that government pension, hoping to one day retire with 80%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then we're going to meet a, another character, a new character here, Daniel yep. Truman. The only thing I wanted to mention regarding Daniel Truman is that we have another little reference here to, you know, possibly the Truman Show, because we've got all these people here that are going to be observing. And we're going to see that fairly soon, them observing these people people who are being you know controlled from above and have no idea they just feel you know they all just think they're living their life and hanging out at a brand new old cabin in the woods or <laughs> cousin's cousin's country home <laughs> but uh yeah so there's just a little truman show reference for you i really like the parallels between cabin in the woods and the truman show where yes they're they're being watched and they're being subtly manipulated so that what the viewer sees is exactly what the producer wants us to see. Totally. Yeah. Real nice correlation there. So what else can we learn about Daniel Truman and the man who plays Daniel Truman? I am so glad you asked. <laughs> so, Daniel Truman is played by Brian White. Brian White was born April 21st, 1975, right down the road from us in Boston, Massachusetts. He is the son of former Boston Celtics star Jojo White. He attended college right up the road from us in Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, where he majored in political psychology and the theater <laughs> arts. He, he actually played professional football for the New England Patriots, the best team oh, ever. Yep. Wow. He also played professional lacrosse for the Boston Blazers before becoming an actor. Uh, he is also the co-founder with Rhea Briggs of the Funk Phenomenon Urban Dance Theater, which is a dance school in Boston, Massachusetts. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. He's wow. busy. He's got a lot going for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, Holy mackerel. According to IMDb, the top four films that he's best known for start with 2005's The Family Stone, where he played Patrick Thomas. Uh, the Family Stone was written and directed by Thomas Bazooka. And I'm saying it that way because it's spelled B-E-Z-U-C-H-A. So I'm going to say Bazooka because that's what it looks like. Um, <laughs> it starred Dermot Mulroney, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Claire Danes. The next movie is 2007's Stomp the Yard, where he played Sylvester. Stomp the Yard was written by Robert Adeteu and Gregory Ramon Anderson and directed by Sylvain White. It starred Columbus Short, Megan Good, and Neo, the singer. The next movie he's best known for is his role in 2007's The Game Plan as Jamal Weber. The Game Plan was written by Nicole Millard, Catherine Price, and Audrey Wells and directed by Andy Fickman. It starred Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kira Sedgwick, and Madison Pettis. And, of course, huh. the number four best-known film that he's in is 
this one, the cabin in the woods where he plays Truman. Hmm. Interesting. Very. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any one of those movies <laughs> except for The Cabin in the Woods. And Stomp the Yard, does that like have to do with stomp? Like stomp dancing? Or what is Stomp the Yard a, about? I think it's a dance you know? movie. Like a hip-hop dance movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... Mm-hmm. Let's I see. Think. Let me pull up the, the summary. Ahem. Cool. <laughs> After the death of his brother, an expert street dancer goes to Georgia to attend Truth University, but his efforts to get an education and woo the girl he likes are sidelined when he joins his fraternity's effort to win a step dancing competition. Truth gotcha. University. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, I've oh. seen the family stone, and I can't place him in the movie, but I didn't like mm. the movie, so... It, that was like a total drama. The Family right? Stone really is a was, comedy drama was, romance. It was really depressing. It was really depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's only got a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. So, But, you know, it's it's got Claire Danes and Diane Keaton and Rachel McAdams, Dermot Mulroney, Luke Wilson's in it, Craig T. Nelson. Those are some good folks, yeah. but I think I'll pass. I think I'll pass yeah. on the family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, one last detail. <laughs> Did you know that Brian White was in Beauty and the Beast? Which one? No. Well, Which one? There's so many now. It's not the Disney animated version. It's not the Disney live action mo- version. It's not the television show starring Ron Perlman and... Um, Sarah Connor, from Linda, Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. <laughs> it yeah. is the 2012 to 2013 TV series that they showed on MTV. <laughs> oh oh my god! Yeah. I didn't even really? know about that one. Actually, it wasn't MTV. Yeah. It was the CW, and it was terrible, which is why it didn't last. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, apparently it ran for four seasons, but I mean, I don't think it got enough to be syndicated. Gotcha. Yeah, only 70 episodes. So this is quite a he a subdued character for somebody who has so many other ways of expressing themselves. It's this, this this part's a bit subdued. Yeah, he fits very well into the very straight laced, very by the book. Is he is he a security guard? Is that what his position is described as? That's what it appears to be. I would. Security guard seems uh, a little low level for what he's doing. Yeah. He's like a super security guard. And I know there's a word out there, like a proper word for what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah. I, it's just not coming to me. A security professional. I mean, I presume that he's, yeah, that he's some sort of military liaison. Yeah. But with very special training that we're going to get to here, which is, is he says he's been prepped. Mm-hmm. Have you been prepared? I've been prepped. And so there must be some sort of training he goes through. But but yeah, what's the what's the difference between I think Molly, you were kind of talking about that. Yeah. The last line in this minute comes from Hadley and it says, Being prepped is not the same thing as being prepared. And so I wanted to get your guys' feedback on that, what you thought that meant. It kinda of makes me wonder what kind of briefing process their little private army that they employ at the organization goes through. I mean, is it a slideshow of the different hell beasts that they'll be potentially unleashing on these victims? I mean, is it a 
is it a funny little slideshow with like cartoon versions or do they actually just show a photograph or they do they walk them through the the zoo of death so to speak i i can't imagine them just and this is probably how they do it just being given a manila folder saying here are your marching orders for the day it sounds mm-hmm. so mundane for them to do it like that and i kind of wish that yeah they just sit them all in a big room and fire up the powerpoint and be like you know death monsters and you here's what to expect on today (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i could imagine being prepped i i i could see a huge binder with like (laughs) scenarios being written about you know like it's if this happens go you know do this if that happens do that and and that being prepped, you know, having read through that binder doesn't mean, you know, it's kind of like when you graduate with a graphic design, you know, certificate or degree or whatever, like, and then go to, to try to get a graphic design job. Obviously, I'm kind of talking about experience, not for me, but for my brother. I remember him saying, you know, when he worked at different jobs that, you know, kids would come in with these degrees but they didn't really know how to do something in real time with real budgets. And, you know, same with um, a friend of mine who is an architect, you know, he'd say, I I like to work with people who've kind of come up in the ranks because they know how to deal with actual budgets and actual scenarios, not just hypotheticals. Mm -hmm. In my own experience, and I'm glad that you brought up the idea of going to school versus actually having a job because I was actually really struggling with this question of being prepped versus being prepared. But in my own experience, I'm a medical biller. So there's a there's so much information to know about health insurance. So I went to school. Turns out nothing I learned in school was any use to me actually <laughs> on the job. <laughs> Everything that was actually useful to me, I learned from my internship. Mm. And nothing, absolutely nothing that I learned from a textbook or from a teacher did me any good. So I had been prepped. I, they had taught me everything that they thought I should know, but I was not prepared. So I guess it's the difference between being given the information that you need and knowing how to use that information and what that information means in the real world. Going back to your idea of a giant binder of information, Mm -hmm. I can imagine that binder having a rather large section in the back called troubleshooting. (laughs) (laughs) And it is based entirely on where to shoot trouble when it comes at you. And in situations like that, you can read on the page, okay, um, if you are being charged by a unicorn, you know, aim for the knees or something like that. (laughs) That's important information to have. That's important knowledge to be prepared by. But if you've never had a unicorn charging at you, you know, you're not going to know what that's like to have this giant, well, I mean, horses are large. I wouldn't say unicorns are necessarily giant, but let's not get bogged down with specifics. But you've never had a horse <laughs> with a giant horn out of its head charging you before. And so being prepared would be having some sort of practical practice, you know, knowing exactly how to shoot a charging horse in the knees 
to keep it from impaling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now, that that makes me think of like we've seen this a lot in uh, you know television. Also, when somebody needs to go get uh, you know become a cop or you know go up different levels of of security and importance when working with guns and they have to go through those scenarios where they're like running through the different rooms and oh shoot you know don't shoot that person they're an innocent bystander <laughs> but, oh do shoot this person they're a, a bad guy <laughs> they have a, a bag of loot and they're <laughs> and a gun <laughs> not a cell phone <laughs> you know or whatever <laughs> um so something like that it could be just like a a uh, cardboard version of uh, Fornicus popping out <laughs> behind oh, no. a box. I'm glad you brought that <laughs> up. Spring-loaded. <laughs> it reminds me of the Men in Black movie, where you've got all of these experienced law enforcement military dudes that are on this shooting range inside the Men in Black facility. And, you know, they're shooting at the aliens that pop up in the the cityscape in front of them and will smith is the only one to shoot the little girl and so the trainer comes up and said why did you shoot the little girl and he's like middle of the night scary neighborhood like this little girl with a science textbook she's up to no good that's the prepared (laughs) as opposed to you know Mm. just being prepped that's a perfect yeah. example i'd say so it, it yeah. sounds like it all boils down to experience yeah textbook knowledge versus actual experience book smarts versus street mm-hmm. smarts yeah yep got it so did we answer um your question with thoroughness molly <laughs> i feel that you did yes <laughs> do you have anything to add but about what you thought but of those two different prepped versus prepared you know similarly to what you guys were saying about practical knowledge and i was kind of thinking about the avengers a little bit and i think it was hawkeye gets knocked out and comes to you know they they did the cognitive recalibration with him by uh black widow and she's like you know we were never prepared for this you know this is monsters and magic and you've got two spies who are obviously you know major awesome comic book kick-ass characters and they're like look there's like magic and aliens and we're just not prepared for this (laughs) you know and so that's what it kind of made me you know think about yes yeah that's another great example yeah there is a channel on youtube that will do video parodies from movies and they i think it's called like big head theater or something like that i'll email a link to you but they do a parody of the avengers where it's that exact situation where hawkeye and black widow are just constantly screaming in terror throughout the entire <laughs> battle for New York. because one of them has a gun and the other one shoots arrows and they are going against like giant sky snakes it's like <laughs> No no amount of motivational speeches from Nick Fury is going to prepare you for that. <laughs> no. That's great. That sounds hilarious. Let's see. The other little nugget here I just wanted to point out. Beyond Mr. Truman, the room is kind of looks like it's getting ready to be, you know, woken up for the day. The guys are walking around in their sort of bunkerish looking room and you know, turning on switches and getting lights going and sort of waking things up here like you do when you first get to work after getting your delicious (laughs) cup of coffee. (laughs) 
And yeah, they're kind of having casual conversation, meeting the new um, super security guard. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Hadley offhandedly says that you can call Sitterson Honey Toes. (laughs) I think Sitterson actually says he can be called Honey Toes. I don't have the uh, script in front of me. Yeah, Sitterson does. Misquoting it. He does um, offer that as a moniker for himself. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of some of the silly names that um one of my ex-boyfriends actually the same one that I went on that crazy cabin in the woods story with Larry Larry uh used to call me a couple of different names and one of them was Pandy after like a panda Andy? bear <laughs> because I used to wear like uh black um overalls and so he thought the black and and like a white shirt underneath always reminded him of a panda bear so he called me pandy <laughs> so that's a little embarrassing <laughs> but the other one that's even more embarrassing and I remember what it came from there's no origin story but he'd call me sweet pickles <laughs> sweet pickles that's kind of nice so yeah i just thought i'd uh you know put myself out there be vulnerable you know to all the listeners and i don't want to revive either one of these but uh you know yes i used to be called at a certain point pandy and sweet pickles all right (laughs) does brian have a current name for you like a term of endearment you know we we do have terms of endearment for each other that are usually um, Wookie or Bigfoot related. That makes a uh, lot of I'll sense. Keep the... <laughs> I totally believe that. <laughs> yeah, we're both big fans of, of Wookies and, and Big Feet. Nice. So <laughs> we have a lot of. Uh, Bigfoot paraphernalia and uh, and um, Wookie paraphernalia about and are actually our um, truck the the uh, vanity plate on it. Yes, we're Californians where everybody <laughs> has a vanity plate um, is Wood Ape, which is from a, <laughs> from. Sorry, a... <laughs> it just totally hit me. <laughs> Oh my god, sorry. <laughs> I love it. So in Futurama there's at least one episode where they come across a a Bigfoot, but they say, they refer to it as a Bigfoot or Wood Ape. <laughs> and so we got Wood Ape as our vanity plate on our truck. So but neither Brian or I call each other Wood Ape, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> So, is there anything else about this minute that we anybody wants to talk about before we start wrapping up and talk about um, our pop culture recommendations? Well, I mean, in the spirit of the show, uh, while we were, were we were off yesterday and and here today, I decided to uh, go rooting around in our attic for any sort of interesting looking trinkets, and I actually found something that uh. I don't know quite what it is. It's kind of like a, it's like a box. It's got some like jangling stuff inside. Oh, don't open. So I think when we're done recording, I'm gonna it. I'm gonna play don't with it. Don't open the box. Open. <laughs> Do not read the Latin. 
Yeah, I, I'm writing here on the bottom. I don't quite understand it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not going to bother trying. I'm just going to embarrass myself trying to read it anyway. I'll save that for off the mic. Oh my god! Epic. <laughs> no fornicus fumbles. <laughs> that sounds like a cover band. The fornicus fumble. <laughs> the fornicus fumble. <laughs> Excellent foley work there yeah, on that box. Well done. Man. Really, really well done. <laughs> Since it's Friday, we like to do something a little different on Fridays and just ask everybody if they have a recommendation of something that they're enjoying these days, something we can share with the audience. I'm going to go first. Who would like to go first? <laughs> Great. I'm going to go first because I know once Rick starts talking, he's not going to out for a little while. It is my curse. Nice. Because I know what he wants to talk about. Okay, my thing is I'm reading a book. It's called The Gollum and the Ginny. Um, It's by Helen Wecker. And it's about, um, it's set in 1900 New York City. And it's a golem that has been brought to life and then lost her master. So she's like free. Mm. And a Ginny who has also lost his master and now he's free. And they have to navigate actual life in New York City. Hmm. Um, and I'm, I, I really have barely dove into it, maybe, maybe a fifth of the way through, and it's, it's fascinating. Really enjoying it. Oh, wow. Cool. That sounds super interesting and very different than anything I've read. Huh. Cool. Nice. What's, the, uh, what's the author and title again, just in case people missed it the first time? The Gollum and the Ginny by Helen Wecker. Cool. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rick, shall we dive in? So, uh, <laughs> lately, I and my friends have been slightly obsessed with the newest release from Bungie Studios called Destiny 2, which is the sequel to the massively popular uh, online kind of MMO, RPG, FPS, space opera thing <laughs> that has been out on consoles. <laughs> And it's just solid gameplay for the sequel. They actually gave it a story, so there's a point to running around. They've streamlined so many things from the first game that just seemed clunky, and now everything is so much smoother and so much more enjoyable. I mean, it's still pretty fresh out as we're recording this. It hasn't been out for too many weeks but i've already sunk so many hours into it my life is pretty much devolved into work podcasting and destiny 2 <laughs> and i it's going to be a while before i get tired of it a long while <laughs> for sure and so i'm totally not familiar with that universe what kind of environment are you are you working around and playing around? So the entire idea of destiny is that sometime in the future, humanity encounters this large orb called the traveler and the traveler imparts technology and wisdom and knowledge on humanity that allows them to expand throughout the solar system. Unfortunately for humanity, something else is following the traveler, a sort of darkness or nefarious force, as well as other races that are chasing after the traveler. And so the whole idea of the first game is, you know, you need to protect it and maintain this last city that remains of humanity after it was attacked by all of these dark forces. Well, in the sequel, 
This traveler, which has been protecting humanity's last city, comes under direct attack from one of the alien species, and they kind of surround it and capture it and cut off your main character's source to all of the powers that you've been using in the first game. And so over the course of the story, you need to rediscover another source of power and beat back this enemy and reclaim the last city so that humanity can continue to thrive even while being threatened on all sides. Cool. I think you described that really well, and it sounds interesting, and I'll probably never play it, but I'm so glad you're enjoying it. The last game I got into was Katamari Damashi, and that was about it. Yeah, they do a really good job of providing you with different play styles. There are three different classes to choose from that are kind of based on the warrior, mage, ranger archetypes, and each one of those classes has subclasses that you can mix and match with, so it's really fun to get together with two or three of your friends and go out and just do little missions, little pockets of activities here and there, and it's really easy to keep things moving, and you very seldom get to a point where there's nothing left to do because even if you're standing there with your your buddies and like okay well what do we do well there's this thing that's starting right now way over here let's go check that out or there's this activity over here that we can do and that's gonna take 20 minutes or so and if you get really ambitious they've got multiple high difficulty raids and strikes and things that you can do there so it's just Excellent, because you jump on with a couple of your buddies on Xbox Live or PlayStation Plus, whatever you're playing on, and I mean, I've I've already spent the better part of multiple days playing this thing, <laughs> and it's definitely not the last of it. <laughs> cool. That sounds awesome. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like a blast. Molly, what is your recommendation for today? Uh, my recommendation is Babylon 5. And Babylon 5 is probably 20 years Oof. old now, so you can still, yeah. <laughs> it's old, but it, it's the, the really cool thing about it, um, it's J. Michael Straczynski, who did some of the writing for Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. He co-created, co-wrote Sense8, which I'm not a huge fan of Sense8, but Babylon 5 really is probably the closest thing I've seen to taking a science fiction novel and making it into a TV series in a very direct way. And has, I mean, it has the, the best and truest pedigree of science fiction and that it's a huge swatch of time. Very, very well worth your time to check out. There are moments where it's a little cheesy and it's also a little dated. So I will give that, but there's something kind of endearing in a doctor who sort of way about that. Um, one of the things I had read about it was that they had hired people who had theater set decoration backgrounds because they knew how to tear down a set and they also knew how to take materials and do amazing things on the cheap of them. So there's a lot of sets that you're going to see that they do amazing things with just lights and like gauze and lights and sheets. And so there's all these different alien Mm. environments that have been just created that way. It is a fantastic, sprawling science fiction (laughs) TV series if you haven't checked it out. Cool. And I think, is it, do you know if it's available on like Netflix or if there's any particular place we can find it or? Um, you can find it on go90.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. How about well, you? I, yes. Oh no, I was just going to check in about you. What about okay. you? <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What are your, what's your Friday recommendation? 
Oh my god. So I'm gonna go to one of the podcasts that I listen to the most, but I don't think has really come up um, because it's not film related. <laughs> but it's called Stop Podcasting Yourself. And it's <laughs> been going on for a really long time. Like the the back catalog of this podcast is oh my gosh, like back to 2010, I think, or something. I mean, it's really um, great. And it's not like behind a paywall or anything. So you can go all the way back. They're up, I'm just looking right now, they're up to episode 495. So they've been doing it for a while. And it's, um, yeah, oh my gosh, their first episode was in two, January, February, March of 2008. Wow. So <laughs> they've been doing it yeah. for a while. <laughs> And um, it's hosted by two comedians by the names of Graham Clark and Dave Shumka. And the premise is very simple. It's just the two of them and a guest. Very rarely, it's just the two of them, but usually they have a guest on. Usually the guest is a comedian, local comedian in Vancouver or a touring comedian or some of their other fun and funny friends. And they check in with each other at the beginning of the show, you know, give the the guest plenty of time to kind of just say what they're up to since maybe they spoke last. And and then they literally, you know, quickly go into a segment called Get to Know Us. And it's just everybody checking in. What have I been up to this week? You know, but it's just because they're all really funny people and they have such a natural, great hosting ability that it's just really entertaining. They have a huge fan base. Um, I'm in their uh, Facebook, you know, group and have met really great, creative, wonderful people in that group. They're just the kind of people that a great, um, creative, fun, funny fan base grows from because they, they're great. And they're also, um, I think Dave does the editing. He does a great job. So it sounds really good. And then they have some funny segments over the years. They've kind of narrowed it down to just one or two different little segments, but people do, um, call in and t share overheards, like just funny things they've overheard out in the world. And some of those call-ins have become like almost canon in the show because they're so hilarious. And there's some people do drunk dials, so they come in, but they're curated, you know, so the guys are picking really funny drunk dials. But yeah, they've had everybody from, you know, Paul F. Tompkins and some of the other like really well-known comedians from the States come up and, and, and uh, come up to Canada and, and drop in. And then, like I said, you get to know about a lot of different Canadian comedians. So I appreciate that too. And they're super funny, super, you know, just a little bit of snark, but mostly kind of positive and uplifting. And, and, and I like that too. Brian and I even drove all the way up. We took a road trip and decided to extend it all the way up to Vancouver just so we could see them perform live. And it was so awesome to go see them. So yeah, stop podcasting yourself. Just find it and listen. I just highly recommend it. Just pick a recent episode. And if you, if you like it as much as I do, you've got years of listening pleasure ahead of you. <laughs> nice. So I think we'll wrap up our episode here. Um, we've actually 
really topped out. Who knows how we'll edit this down, but we're topping out um, as it being a bit longer than our other ones, which is fine because I love having guests on and just getting our groove on and mm -hmm. going on some tangents. So it's been really great having you guys. And uh, I think we should start wrapping episode nine up here how what do you feel molly is it time to get on out of here yeah we gotta put these people to bed they gotta work <laughs> in the morning <laughs> it has honestly been a real pleasure to have you guys on it's been super enjoyable and really really appreciate it you guys have been just just great and really appreciate what you brought to the table today yeah thank you for inviting us over our pleasure. And, uh, you know, if we ever get in a pinch and need to know what somebody's done on IMDb, we know who to call. <laughs> I'm slightly obsessed, I'll admit. <laughs> no, it was good stuff. Yeah, it was completely good information. You did a ton of amazing research. Really was made incredible color. I mean, we didn't do that. Like, you're the one who brought that to the table. So thank you. Um, so on that note, we'd like to thank you all for listening to episode nine today. And we are Molly Balin. And Heidi Bennett. And this is Kevin Minicast. And as we said, we thank Julia and Rick of Mad Max Minute. And for one more moment, we'll give you guys the opportunity to let people know where they can find you and your fabulous podcast. All right. The Mad Max Minute can be found on iTunes and Google Play, as well as on Twitter, at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook, in our listeners page, at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at our website, where you can find all of our back episodes, MadMaxMinute.com. And so we want to do another special shout out to our podfathers, Pete and Alex from Star Wars Minute, who pioneered the movies by minute format, of which Cabin Minute cast and Mad Max Minute are based. Yay! Yay! <laughs> minute, minute buddies. <laughs> and if you're wondering um, how many movies by minutes podcasts there are out there, you can always go to the website that is moviesbyminutes.com. And then come on back on Monday for episode 10 when we'll chat about the worst place to stop for gas. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for tuning in to Minute 9 and we will see you back at the cabin. Mm -hmm.